In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that he had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the power of sin once and for all, giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. Jesus Christ sets us free to live in the fullness of God's love and power. Do you believe that this morning? Cool, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for 2,000 years ago that, that what he did here on earth and what he did at the end of his life on that cross changed the course of history, but changed the way that we can live today. I thank you for all that Jesus won for us on that cross. Thank you that he defeated the power of sin and death. God, I thank you that today as we take hold of the truth of what Jesus has won for us, that we can be free to live in the fullness of your love and power. God, I pray today that as we open your word, as we, as we look to you, as we take hold of the truth, that God, you would be setting us free today and tomorrow and over these next few weeks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with a presumption today. It's a presumption that I am confident is true for all of us. We all want to be set free. We, we want to be free. You know, none of us like to be stuck in a place where we don't want to be and stopped from doing what we really want to do. I mean, who here likes to be stuck in a supermarket queue with your arms full of groceries? Put your hand up if you really like that. You like being stuck in a supermarket queue. You know, when we get stuck in a supermarket queue, we want someone to come along and to serve us and to set us free. In my supermarket, there's 16 aisles and there's only ever two checkout chicks. Or often they're checkout blokes. But uh, I just want someone else to come and, and come and serve me in one of those other aisles so I can get out of my queue and I can get home and I can eat my ice cream. I want someone to serve me and set me free. You know, who here likes being stuck on the side of the road? You know, you're driving along and your, your car conks out and you get stuck on the side of the road and you stop from going from where, where you really want to go. Who likes that? Put your hand up. You know, we, we, we kind of sit there and we start bashing on the wheel and we start saying words that we would never repeat here in church because we don't like being stuck on the side of the road and stop from going where we really want to go. We want someone that has the ability and the power to come and save us from our dilemma. Someone that actually knows how to fix our problem and save us from a dilemma so that we can get going where we want to go. Who here likes, who actually enjoys being stuck on hold? Come on, put your hand up. Put your hand up if you love being stuck on hold and hearing that, that message that goes, uh, your, your call is really important to us. But right now, you know, we, we have a queue of people wanting to talk to us and uh, we'll get to you as soon as we can. But uh, while you're waiting, you can listen to this ridiculously mind-numbing music. I mean, who loves being stuck on hold? We don't like being stuck in hold. We've got better things to do. We don't like being stopped from doing those better things. We want someone to come along and speak to us, preferably someone that speaks our language in an accent that we can understand. But this is even more important, that they can actually speak wisdom to help us with our problem. Wouldn't that be nice? Can I hear an amen this morning? You know, we don't like 
to be stuck on hold and stop from doing from what we really want to do. We want someone to speak to us in a way that can actually help us. Now, that's true in everyday, just mundane areas of our lives, but it's also true in the bigger, more significant areas of our lives. When we get stuck in damaging behaviors and damaging mindsets and that that stop us from doing what we really want to do in life, that stop us from really living life to the full, we want someone to come along and serve us and set us free. We, we want someone, you know, to save us from our dilemma. We want someone that can actually speak some words of wisdom and life that can help us get unstuck, can set us free. You know, when we get stuck in damaging mindsets and behaviors, you know, whether we're stuck in shame or stuck in rejection, or whether we get stuck in addiction or fear and anxiety or bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, we know we, we know we actually don't want to stay stuck there. We know those things can, in a very real way, stop us from experiencing life to the full. We'd like someone to come along to serve us, to save us from our dilemma, and to speak you know, words that are helpful, wise words that can set us free. Now, the good news is that's what Jesus has come to do. That is what Jesus Christ has come to do. He's come to set us free. You know, the Bible talks about those damaging behaviors and damaging mindsets as sin. This kind of sums it up in this little tiny word, which essentially just means miss the mark, missed God's design uh, for our lives. Jesus came to set us free from sin. Now, Jesus didn't just come to forgive your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. He did do that, but he did much more than that. You know, Jesus actually came to set you free from sin so that you can enjoy life to the full now. Jesus came to set you free from sin at the beginning of his ministry. You know, just as he's getting started, just, you know, before, you know, uh, he really does anything to, you know, to serve and to save and to speak, right at the beginning of his ministry, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and, and he says, you know, this is my mission. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. To, uh, to proclaim uh, good news to the poor, you know, to set the, the oppressed free, to give recovery of sight for the blind. Sorry, I got that the wrong way around. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. You know, when Jesus is summing up his mission and his ministry, all that he's going to do in the next three years, he's part, two of the key things that he says, he says, you know, I am, I am going to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and I'm going to set the oppressed free. Now, generally speaking, it's not always true, but generally speaking, if you're imprisoned, you are suffering because of your own sin. And if you're oppressed, you're suffering because of the sin of others. And Jesus is saying, I am coming to bring freedom. I am coming to set free those that are suffering because of their own sin and those that are suffering because of the sins of others. Right at the beginning of his ministry, he announces his intention. During his ministry, we see him set some people free. He sets this, you know, short little cheat named Zacchaeus free and he becomes generous. He sets a woman free who's, who's uh, been living an immoral life and uh, trying to find her sense of, of love and satisfaction and hope in men and just come up short every time and she's suffering because of it and he sets her free to find real life. You know, he, he sets free this demon-possessed nude dude who's chained up in a, in a, in a cemetery because he's scaring all the villagers and he, he's sets him free to become an evangelist of all things, to go back into the town, into the village that he's been scaring for years and share the good news about Jesus. So Jesus announces, this is what my ministry is about, setting people free. And then he actually sets some people free in his ministry, but at the end of his ministry, he makes a way to set all people free. And it includes you and me. You know, Jesus went to a cross and he took upon himself 
my sin and your sin, everything that once stopped us from living in the fullness of God's love and power, everything that once separated us from God, he took it upon himself on the cross and he put it to death. But here's the really good news. Death could not hold him down. You know, on the third day, he actually rose from the dead. He defeated the power of sin and death once and for all. And, and, and he was alive and he's alive today. You see, Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, he announces he's going to set people free. And, and during his ministry, he actually does set some people free. But at the end of his ministry, he, he makes a way for all people to be set free from the power of sin. That is good news for you and me. The big question, though, this morning is are you free? Are you free? Are you free to live in the fullness of God's love and power? Or has something got you stuck? Is there something that's got you stuck? Is there a place that you're stuck? And you feel like you're constantly being stopped from living this life that God has, has planned for you. Is it stopping you from experiencing the fullness of God's love and power? And over these next few weeks, we're going to unpack some of the things that often get us stuck and how to be free, how, how to actually be set free from these things, these damaging behaviors and damaging mindsets that the Bible calls sin. And this morning, I, I want to talk about being set free from shame. Now, shame is that sick feeling of humiliation embarrassment, regret that follows sin. As I said, you know, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin and sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others. We can experience shame, that sick feeling of humiliation and regret because of our own sin when it gets exposed. And we can experience that same shame because of the sins of others, what others have done to us. Now, shame is ugly. There's nothing good about shame. It's not part of God's original design. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 1 and 2 kind of sums up, you know, God's, you know, plans for his creation. Right at the end of chapter 2 in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's the picture of God's design for creation. Here they were completely exposed to one another and completely exposed before God, no shame. Shame was not part of God's original plan for creation. As we go into Genesis chapter 3, we, uh, we see Adam and Eve get deceived, they believe a lie and sin comes into the world. Look at the, the, the thing that first happens when they believe the lie of Satan, sin comes into the world. Verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked for the first time. So what did they do? This is what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As soon as sin came into the world, they felt ashamed and they wanted to cover up. It's that sick feeling of embarrassment, humiliation and regret that follows our sin, goes on. says, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And what did they do? They, and they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It was pretty hard to do. But the Lord God called to the man, says, Where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Because my sin and shame is exposed, so I hid. Sin's ugly. Shame is ugly, people. Sin's ugly too. But shame is ugly. There's nothing good about shame. Let me tell you some of the ugly truth about shame. You know some of this, but let me just point it out. The ugly truth about shame. Shame causes us to hide in all the wrong places. Just put your hand up this morning and tell me what you are most ashamed of. Just, just stick your hand up. Someone yell out, what are you most ashamed of? You know, none of us are going to do that. We're ashamed. 
So we hide. If I asked you what you're most excited about, what are you most proud of, a whole bunch of you extroverts would stick your hand up and you'd shout it from the rooftops. But because we're ashamed, we hide. Now the problem is we hide in all the wrong places. We, we hide in shame to cover up our embarrassment, our humiliation. We don't want to be seen for who we really are. We don't want others to see who we really are. And we certainly don't want God to see who we really are. So, so we hide ourselves from others and we try and hide ourselves from God, thinking if we can't see him, if we don't draw close to him, then he won't see us. It's kind of ridiculous thinking, but we do it all the time. And it's been happening since the beginning of time. Shame causes us to hide and to hide in all the wrong places. When we feel ashamed, we hide in porn, we hide in alcohol, we hide in food, we hide in internet shopping, we might hide behind earphones, we might hide online, we might hide in front of Netflix. But we hide hoping to escape from our shame. But this is the problem. Silent shame. There's another ugly truth about shame. Silent shame breeds more shame. As I said, shame can stem from our own sin and it can stem from the sins of others. But shame loves silence. That's where it grows. It grows in secret. It grows the more we keep it in the dark. It multiplies. Shame multiplies in the darkness. And the more it multiplies, the more it has power over us, the more we keep shame in the darkness and we hide from God and from one another, from a community that can support us. The more shame grows and it maintains its power over us. Thirdly, shame has no use by date. You can carry shame around for months, years, decades. I tell you, a couple of the saddest times in my ministry in the last 25 years would be praying with some elderly men who served God in the church in different ways all their lives. But at the end of their life, when they knew they were dying, they asked me to come and pray with them. And they talked about their hidden shame that they'd been carrying for decades. Things that had happened sometimes 40, 50 years ago. Now, I'm absolutely confident that as I prayed with them, as they confessed their sin, that they are, they're in heaven. Their sin and shame is gone. They're never going to be a problem again for them. But I'm equally confident that they could have been set free from shame for 40 years. And they weren't because they kept it hidden. And there's no use by date. And I tell you, as I talked with their men, those men and I heard their story, that shame that they held on to for decades, it robbed them of intimacy in their relationships with God and with those closest to them. Robbed them for decades. Jesus wants to set you free. See, shame's got no use by date, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. It's up to you. Jesus has come to set you free. And I, I pray that this morning that there, there'll be a, a new journey of freedom that begins for many of us and over this next six weeks, I pray that that journey continues. Shame's got no use by date. Shame leads to blame. You see, when you feel ashamed, you blame others or the situation for your sin. Guilt is different to shame. You know, God has built, you know, guilt, you know, into to this world to help us recognize right from wrong and, and to see when what we have done is unworthy of, of you know, the, the, the calling that God has on our lives. And guilt is designed to actually recognize our need for a savior because of what we've done. But shame, shame doesn't point to the sin. It points to you. And says, you're unworthy. You're unacceptable. You can't come to God. And so we keep hiding in shame. And it leads to blame. And we blame others. And the longer we blame others for our shame, the more shame, the longer shame will have power and control over you. 
Shame leads to blame. And lastly, shame is ugly because blood was shed to cover our shame. Read Genesis uh, 3, verse 21. We've just skipped to the end of that, near the end of that chapter. It says, The Lord God, when he saw their sin and their shame, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. That's the first time an animal, you know, was slaughtered. And that's ugly. If you've ever seen it, it's ugly. It's the first time they'd seen death and bloodshed. And God skinned this animal to cover their shame. To, to clothe their nakedness. You know, blood is shed to cover our shame. And what hap- what's said there in Genesis, happened there in Genesis chapter 3, we see pictures of it right throughout Scripture of the blood that is shed to cover sin and shame. But it's simply a picture of what Jesus has done once and for all. This is the really ugly bit about sin and shame. That the Son of God actually came to earth as an innocent sacrifice. And he shed his blood on the cross to cover our shame. Shame's ugly. There's nothing good about shame. But there is good news, as I said this morning. You know, if you get stuck in shame, it'll stop you living in the fullness of God's love and power. But Jesus came to set you free from shame. There's an awesome story in John chapter 8, which, uh, you know, over the years, people haven't been sure where it actually sits in the whole, you know, gospel story. And probably today they'd say it, it probably wasn't in the, this story wasn't in the oldest manuscripts, but pretty much all commentators would say they think this story happened because it is, uh, it's, uh, uh, reflects the heart of Jesus throughout the rest of the Gospels. But uh, John chapter 8 says this, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're really good dudes. They're really righteous dudes. They're, They're dudes that have followed the law better than you and I ever will. All right, they, they, uh, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, who knows why these good dudes were hanging outside her bedroom and to catch her in the act, but they did. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women as this. Now, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and just began to write on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, this story shows us both the heart and the power of Jesus to set us free from shame. Here's a woman that's obviously a sinner, surrounded by a whole bunch of really good, righteous people. She's obviously a sinner. She's been caught in the act. She's literally been caught with her pants down. And now she's dragged in front of his group of people, completely exposed, all of her sin and shame exposed for everybody to see. And then they asked Jesus this really important question. The law says we should stone her to death. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? Now they're asking with an ulterior motive. But this question is a really important question for every single one of us. Jesus, what do you say? I want you to imagine this morning that you are getting dragged before Jesus in front of a whole bunch of good, righteous people, and all of your sins, your darkest sin is exposed. Your darkest thought, your darkest action is completely exposed for all the world to see. The thing you're most embarrassed about, the thing you're most ashamed of, 
And you're standing there and everyone now knows about it. The thing that you keep hidden from everybody. Everybody now knows about it. And Jesus, the Son of God, is standing there in front of you. What do you think Jesus would say? What do you think Jesus would say to you when he sees all of your sin and shame? Now, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day. If anyone tells you they do, don't listen to them, because we don't. He he might have just been doodling. He might have been a, a romantic like myself and just drew a big love heart. Look forward to the day that Jason and Susan would get together. You know, every time I go to the beach, I just like to declare to the whole world that Jason loves Susan. I like her to know. I like everybody to know. Oh, we, we don't know whether, you know, Jesus was just doodling in the dirt. Maybe he was having a bit of fun. You know, maybe, maybe he's going, yeah, guys, one day people are going to get in a real hurry. They're going to drive around in these things called cars. And he began just to draw a picture of a car in the sand. He's just having a bit of fun because he's not all that stressed about this situation. Their questions aren't worrying him. We don't know what Jesus was doing. He might have just been doodling, having fun in the dirt for all we know. We don't know what he wrote. But we do know what he didn't write. Jesus was not writing in the dirt. As that woman was standing in front of him with all of her sin and shame, what he didn't write was loser. He wasn't there sitting there thinking, what a loser. This woman caught in the act, caught in adultery, What a loser. Never amount to anything. Jesus was not writing that. You read the Gospels, that's not his heart. Jesus wasn't writing failure. He wasn't sitting there. He knows everything about this woman, remember. He wasn't sitting there thinking, this isn't the first time you've failed. You've done this before. You've failed this time. You've failed in the past and you're going to fail in the future. You are a failure. Jesus was not writing that in the dirt. You can't find that in the Gospels. Jesus wasn't writing dirty, you dirty, dirty woman. You can never be washed clean. What you've done is too far gone. You will never be clean from what you've done. That's not in the Gospels. And Jesus wasn't sitting there writing, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I want you to know how shameful you are before God. We don't know what Jesus was writing in the dirt that day, but I'm absolutely confident he wasn't writing those words because that's not the heart of Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're picturing yourself today standing before Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, in your sin, in your darkest moment, and you think they are the words that Jesus would say to you, that's what he would speak over you, you are believing a lie. You're believing a lie. And and I tell you, the first step to being set free, to live in the fullness of God's love and power, is to identify the lie. You've got to identify the lie. You see, what we know about someone's identity helps us to identify when something is a lie. 
going to try to play a little game of truth and lie with you this morning. I'm going to say some things, some of them are true, some of them are lies. Knowing what you know of my identity, you've got to decide whether it's a truth or a lie. All right? I, in my uh, lifetime, I have sung and danced on stage in front of an audience to, in three different musicals. Put your hand up if you think that is true. Put your hand up if you think that's a lie. Unfortunately, it's true. Horrific. <laughs> horrific. I, I don't want anyone to ever see the video footage. Absolutely horrific. I, I do feel shame over that. But it's true. You know, I once scored a century in 65 balls playing C-grade cricket for the Tilopia All-Stars. Put your hand up if you think that's true. A few of you. Put your hand up if you think that's a lie. It's a lie. I did play C-grade cricket. That's the highest my cricket career ever got. Never scored a century. Absolutely hopeless at cricket. I'm six foot two and a half inches tall. Put your hand up if you think that's true. Put your hand up if you think that's a lie. A whole bunch of you can't work it out. You know, every Sunday is true. Uh, every Sunday, people come up to me and go, geez, you're a lot taller in real person. I go, what am I up here? I'm a real person. I'm convinced that these tech crew up the back, they've put a filter on that camera. It makes me look shorter, fatter, and wider. That's true. That's, that's how tall I am in my lifetime. I've owned three dogs and two cats. Put your hand up if you think that's true. Put your hand up if you think that's a lie. <laughs> See if I would own two cats. <laughs> I hate cats. It should all be short. <laughs> I have had three dogs, no cats. One last one. I have had cosmetic surgery on my face. To improve my good looks. <laughs> Hand up if they think that's true. <laughs> uh, it's, I, it's hard to look this good, I know. Hand up if you think that's a lie. Can you believe this? It's true. In my late 20s, I started getting cauliflower ear from packing into too many scrums, and uh, I didn't like the look of it. There was no medical reason for me to get surgery. I just didn't like the look of it. That's how vain I am. Didn't want to spend the rest of my life with cauliflower ears. I went and got cosmetic surgery. Cost me over $1,000, so I look as beautiful as I do today. <laughs> okay. Some of you are going, you should have spent more. <laughs> this is the point. How, how well you know me determines how well you can discern truth from lie. If you know me really well, you, you, kinda, you know really easily what's the truth and what's a lie. If you don't know me so well, you can't discern that quite so easily. Now, this is the weird bit. The same is true for you and your own identity. Because you see, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've, you've asked him to forgive your sin, you, you want to be in relationship with him, you have a new identity. And it says when we ask Jesus to come into our life, his, his blood covers over our sin and our shame. And we, we are in Christ and we are in new relationship with God. We have a new identity. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're a son or a daughter of God. You're one of his favorites. You're in the family. You know, you are washed clean. You are forgiven. You kind of, you stand before God and he looks at you. He doesn't see your sin and shame. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that covers your sin and shame. And you are free to, to receive the fullness of his love and power. You got a new identity. And you see how well you know your identity determines how easily you can identify the lie when it comes. You got to know your identity. If you think, if you think, you know, Jesus is looking at you in your darkest moments and he's going, loser, failure, dirty, shameful. You believe in a lie because that's not your identity. 
If you're going to get free and stay free from the things that get us stuck and stop us from living in the fullness of God's love and power, firstly, you've got to identify the lie, and secondly, you've got to take hold of the truth. Once you've identified the lie, you've got to literally take hold of the truth. You see, some of you need to write this down because you've struggled with it for a long time. Now, shame... God never uses shame to motivate us to modify our behavior. Never. Let me say it again. God never uses shame to motivate us to modify our behavior. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we try to shame people into doing something we really want them to do. God never does. You see, shame is not the language of heaven. Partly because he just knows it doesn't work. Shame's a lousy motivator. Terrible. But I tell you, grace is a game changer. When you get hold of the grace of God, it changes everything. It actually gives you power over sin. We've got to take hold of the truth. Once you've identified the lie, the second thing you've got to do is take hold of the truth. So when sin and shame comes, you say, no, that's not true. Because it's the truth that will set you free. And this is the truth. Jesus Christ died on a cross and he shed his blood to pay for your sin and to cover your shame. So all of these words that we might think Jesus speaks over at at times has been rubbed out by what Jesus has done on the cross. He has covered over your shame. This is the truth. And I want you to literally take hold of it this morning. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 8 verse 1 and 2 says this, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Let me say it one more time because I want you to take hold of it today. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of the sin and death. Shame is gone. It's been wiped out. Jesus has covered it over. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've got to take hold of that truth if you want to live free in the fullness of God's love and power. I want you to literally take hold of that truth this week in this series. Every week we've printed some memory verses, old school, memorizing scripture. So wherever you are, you can literally take hold of the truth. And when the lie comes, you can speak against it and say, that's not true. I'm not going to let that lie dictate my future. There is now no condemnation. Grab these, all right? We gave away hundreds at the 8 o'clock service. We're going to run out today. Good news is everything that's in that booklet on these memory cards are all online. Website's going to come up in just a minute and you can go online and you can, uh, you can download everything. We're going to print a whole bunch more memory cards for next week. But today, if you don't get one of these, and there's going to be a race to get them out the front. Uh, if you don't get one, just go online, print the whole lot out. Everything's online. If you want paper copies come down the front. We literally want you to take hold of the truth over these next few weeks. Put it in your pocket, put it in your car, put it on your desk, memorize this truth so you can identify the lie, take hold of the truth. Thirdly, if we're going to get free and stay free, we've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Now Jesus says to this woman, go and sin no more. That's easy to say. It's a lot, we all know that's a lot harder to do. Go and sin no more. You know, it's a daily journey of staying free. We've got to identify the lie. We've got to take hold of the truth. We've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know, when, you, when we're young, when we're kids, we learn to respond to our body when it tells us it's cold. 
as a baby and up until the age of, you know, maybe four and five, you know, we don't know how to do this. But we learn when our body gets cold to go and put on a coat to combat the cold. It's a simple thing we learn to do. We, we respond to the prompt in our body and we put on something that can combat the cold. In a really simple way, that's a little bit like what walking in the Spirit is. It's kind of like we're, we're walking along, see the cold creeps up on you over time, and you realize, oh, I'm cold, I need something. It doesn't happen instantly. And sin and shame is the same way, kind of creeps up on us. And we start to realize, how hey, I'm believing a lie. Something's creeping in here that's not right. And just like when we're cold, we've got to learn to respond to the prompt of our body. God is there by his spirit day by day as we're walking through life, prompting us to say, put on Christ. Put on Christ. It's all through the New Testament. This language is always there. Put on Christ or clothe yourselves in Christ. Romans chapter 13, it says, put on Christ and you will not indulge. You will make no provision for the flesh. You will not indulge the sinful nature. Put on Christ. You know, as the sin and shame starts to creep up on us, identify the lie, take hold of the truth, just walk in the Spirit. Say, I'm putting on Christ. It combats the lie. It combats the shame that the enemy wants to speak into your life. You see, what we've just talked about being true is always true. But we've got an enemy who has been disarmed, but he's still a really good liar. And he just lies to us about our identity because he doesn't want us to be free to live in the fullness of God's love and power. And so we've got to identify that lie, take hold of the truth, and walk in the Spirit. And just like this woman standing before Jesus with all of her sin and shame exposed, Jesus begins to write a new story for her life. And again, we don't know what he's writing in that dirt that second time. But I, I wonder whether he's just declaring, free, free, free from condemnation. Go Sin no more. See, what Jesus does want to write over our lives is that we are free and that in Christ we can live unashamed. And that's the story Jesus wants to write over your life. He's wanting to set you free and write a new story over your life. A story of freedom, a story of grace, a story of being unashamed about who you are and who God's called you to be. A story of love. A story of hope. A story of purpose. You know, as a 19-year-old, I was living in a cycle of shame. There were things I knew that I was doing that were wrong, that were unworthy of the life that God had given me. And I was just keeping them hidden. I was keeping them silent. I was pretty sure I had to do a whole bunch of things to make up for all of the bad things that I knew I was doing. I was just living in this cycle of shame. And that, the, the shame I was trying to use as a motivator to modify my behavior. But God had a better idea, and thank God he did. When I was 19, I had an encounter with the grace of God. For the first time in my life, I understood that God loved me and there was nothing I could do about it. And it didn't matter what I did in the future, he was still going to love me. I'd, I'd never taken hold of that in the past. That truth about God's grace transformed my life. Where shame was a terrible motivator, grace changed me. It didn't change me overnight, although there were some changes overnight. But over the last 25 years... I've learnt when I feel sin and shame creeping up on me to take hold of the truth of God's grace and to walk in the power of His grace. He did it for this woman standing in the dirt 2,000 years ago. He did it for me. He's a 19-year-old just about to get into ministry. 
He can do it for you. You see, shame's got no use-by date, but it does not have to be a life sentence. Are you hearing me this morning? Shame does not have to be a life sentence. Don't let it be a life sentence. Don't, don't get to the end of your life and finally uncover your shame and recognise the way that it's robbed you of intimacy with God and intimacy with others for your entire life. Bring that shame out into the open. Identify it as a lie. Some of you are going to need to share it in your life groups this week. You're going to need to find a person to share it with. Say, this is, this is the lie I've been believing for so long. And learn to take hold of the truth day by day as you experience the prompt of the Holy Spirit when the lie, the sin, the shame creeps up on you. Say, I am not living like this anymore. I'm taking hold of the truth of God. And this is the truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's true. Do you believe it this morning? If you're going to take hold of that truth, I want you to take hold of that truth. I want you to take hold of just the new story that Jesus is writing over your life. Because He will, He'll write, set you free to write a new story. I want to give you an opportunity this morning if you're here and you don't yet know a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You haven't asked Jesus who shed His blood for you to wash you clean, to cover your sin and shame. And you want to do that today. You want, you want to know you can come before God without condemnation. You want to start a journey of, of, of living in a relationship of, of, with the loving God of the universe. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning, if that's you. Just asking Him to wash you clean, set you free from shame, and begin a new story of walking in the fullness of God's love and power. I ask everyone to close their eyes, just bow their heads just for a moment. If you're here this morning and you'd say, that's me. I, 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 need, to, I need Jesus to come and wash me clean of my sin and shame. I, I want Jesus to be saviour you know, of my life. I, I want to walk. I want to walk in His grace. I want to know His forgiveness. If that's you this morning, this morning you'd say, I, I want what Jesus has won for me. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, Lord and Saviour. I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, can I just get you to raise your hand just for a minute and say, that's me this morning. I want to pray that prayer. Just raise your hand just wherever you are. Just say, that's me. That's the prayer. Bless you guys. That's awesome. Who else this morning? I know there's more of you here this morning. Just say, that's me. Just raise your hand just for a second so I can see it. Who else today just say, I'm taking hold of what Jesus won for me. I want him to wash me clean. I want a fresh start. Who else this morning? Just say, that's me. Bless you. That's awesome, mate. Who else this morning? Bless you guys. Awesome. Who else this morning? Just say, yeah, bless you. That's cool. Really cool. Who else? Yeah, awesome. Let's see that hand. Very good. Who else this morning? Yeah, up the back. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone, just before I lead us in prayer, anyone else here this morning? Good man. Good man. Jesus is going to hear your prayer. Let me, uh, let me pray. If that's you this morning, can I get you to pray with me? Just pray in your quietness of your heart and say, I'm taking hold of this. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love for me. I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for the way I've lived outside of your design for my life. Today, I ask that you would forgive me. Wash me clean and cover my shame. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And I ask this morning that his blood would cover my sin and shame. I choose to follow him for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we just put our hands together and encourage those who have uh, prayed that prayer? Can I encourage you, if that's you today, 
please go to our welcome lounge. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to help you get started. Our section leaders are going to try and connect with you this morning. We just want to give you a gift. We just want to help you get started uh, in that journey. Awesome decision you've made. Let's jump to our feet. We're going to sing a song we know really well. Great, so I love this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, how good is God's grace. How good. Come on, people. How good is God's grace. Pour it out for us. God is good. I want us to sing this together. I want us to raise the roof. Jesus has set us free. And what I want you to do as we're singing, come down this morning. We've got kind of like a whole big sand pit here. I just want you to take hold of the new story that Jesus is writing over your life. This is an act of faith coming down here. It might be this morning. You just need to come and just write free in big letters. You might need to write unashamed. You might need to say restored and healed. This morning it might be saying, God, I'm going to start walking in that purpose that you have for me. I'm going to start walking in your grace. Whatever it is, write the new story that Jesus is speaking over your life. The old one's all rubbed out. Fresh, fresh sand here for you to write in. Fresh story that Jesus wants you to write for your life. What is He setting you free from? What is the new story He's writing over your life? I want hundreds of you. Just come down. Begin to declare it in a really simple way, in a word or two out in the sand. But come on, come now as we sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Hey, what I want us to do, I, I, I know God is at work now, and I know He's going to be at work. Keep coming and writing, but I know He's going to be at work over these next, uh, these next six weeks. I want us to pray. I just know we've got to pray this in. We've just got to pray and trust in God's power to do what only He can do, that by His Spirit, see, this is true. But, but we've got an enemy that keeps trying to push us away from the truth. And we've got to pray that God by His Spirit will help us to take hold of this truth. This is going to get some of, some of these words just up on the screen right now. I just want us all just to begin to pray out loud. Come on, take hold of the truth this morning. Just speak it out this morning in truth. Together, let's pray that freedom would come over our church, over us as a community. Kid Zone's doing this. YC's doing this. Almost doing this. Our 6 p.m. service tonight for all our congregations just wanting to live in the freedom, to, to walk in God's love and in His power. Come on, right now, out loud, just begin to pray over these words, words like grace and hope and worthy and free and, and uh, finally at peace and uh, no more accusations from the enemy. You know, redefined, restored, you know, set free. Come on, just begin to pray it. Begin to pray it over our church. Father God, Father God, we do. We declare your freedom in this place. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, by your Spirit, would you come and break into our hearts and into our minds. God, would you help us to take hold of the truth and to walk in freedom, to walk knowing that we've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus. God, speak to us about our identity in Christ. Set people free to live in hope, to live in grace, to live in freedom. God, would you set us free in Jesus' name. Come on, one last time just to declare it. Jesus, set us free.